Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book, all right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 58, The Sun is Also a Star, by Nicola Yoon. What does America mean to you? Your removal is final. There's nothing you can do. I'm sorry. But this is my home. New York is my home. 13.8 billion years ago, the Big Bang created the stars, the planets, the galaxies. Compared to the lifespan of the universe, our lives begin and end in a single day. I'm Daniel. Natasha. We are just What's with the notebooks? Poems. Poems. What are they about? Wait, let me guess. Love. Not all of them. I don't believe in love. So no magic, no fate, no meant to be. What if I told you I could get you to fall in love with me? Just give me a day. An hour. What are your key ingredients to falling in love? My ingredients are friendship, chemistry, the X factor. What's the X factor? Don't worry, we've got it. You and I, this isn't going to make me change my mind, Mr. Plaid Thai. Did you just call me Pad Thai? Plaid Thai? My family's from Korea, not Thailand. Well, that is not what I said, so you can stop waiting for an apology. Oh, I'm waiting for something, but not for an apology. Listen, I wasn't born here. What? My family is leaving tomorrow. This is real, and I know you feel it too. The choice we make. The path we choose. We don't have forever. All we have is a single day. Welcome to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, occasionally some comics and poetry. And each month we take a thorough look at one particular piece of literature that we've both read and determine whether it is worthy of its either positive or negative reputation, as you've seen in the past episodes. <laughs> so I am leading us through this shipperific novel. <laughs> of course I would do that. Though 
we know that my co-host did pick a romance novel that one time. So I think that I would consider him the sun to my star, depending <laughs> on how we interpret this title. It's Tom Panneries. I Yeah, I did. I picked Eleanor in Park. Oh, I was thinking about... This, right? You're right. You did pick Eleanor in Park, yeah. and then you picked that one by Barbara Kingsolver. Oh, uh, Prodigal Summer? Yeah, that one threw me off way more, I think, than <laughs> yeah. Eleanor and Park. Yeah, so there, there's a little bit of Eleanor and Park in this, isn't there? There is, I would yeah, say, yeah. Yeah, So. Man. Well, welcome. The summer is running out. Are yes. you kind of, have you put on your morning clothes? No, I'll, I'll do that next week. You know, get the get the morning the veil. I'll sit shiva for a week. And oh uh, no, I'm not Jewish. I did check my email this morning just because I've been checking it maybe more than once every couple of days now. Because uh, every once in a while I get an email from a colleague. But um, I do have my schedule set up for next year so far. So we're we're getting into it. I got about as of this recording, I have a week and a half. And then, and then we're back in yeah. for the work week. Man. Yeah. Very crazy. Very Ooh. sad. So, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Now you'll just be working and chugging along like I've been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, yeah, so we're doing another YA novel. Is this our second or third? So we did do Eleanor and Park. Have we done any others, or have we been pretty light on the YA? We did this. We did the Hunger Games. Oh, that is true. Yes. And then, of course, if you count the prequel, we did that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So we've been pretty pretty decent. Mm-hmm. This isn't a YA podcast, so we can kind of do what we no, want. No, yeah, we can do what we want. Yeah. And that's certainly an idea we could also do for one of our 10th episodes is maybe taking a deep dive into YA and its controversies and why people think it's not so good and other people think it's great but yeah that, now is not the time for that <laughs> no but that would be an interesting conversation to have because it was had all over the internet about whether or not YA had literary value especially yeah. about 10 to 15 years ago when twilight was huge Tr- yeah that that conversation was had a lot more than say or surrounding like the Hunger Games or even yeah. Harry Potter. And I wonder if that conversation is moot now because the YA that I've read recently, I guess, it seems like they're deeper than maybe those superficial, well, I'll say, you know, Twilight, kind of the superficiality yeah. Yeah. of those stories. I, I agree. It's, it's yeah, because cause YA is not a genre. It's a category. It's a it's it's like a category. I know genre is a category, but it's a it's a much bigger category in that the regular genres of literature fit inside YA. So there's mm-hmm. YA science fiction, YA horror, YA romance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and there is very good literary young adult literature, and there is like total popcorn, you know, just like any. Yeah anything that you see at Barnes and Noble, you know? So yeah, that would be really, really interesting, uh, interesting conversation to have. Yeah. And sometimes we do need the popcorn in order to maybe cleanse our palates after something heavy. We do. Yeah. We were just talking about that off mic. So (laughs) we sure are. Yeah. 
Well, this, I guess we'll decide whether it's popcorn or something deeper as we're talking about it, but we're going to be talking the sun is also a star. So first off, of course, we need to ask, how do we know of this book? What is our history with this book, Tom? Um, this is the first time I've read it. Um, I had, I've never read anything by Nicola Yoon. I'd heard of everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I probably had heard of this. This, the title seemed familiar when you mentioned it. And I probably saw a few students walking around with it from time to time, you know, it was in, in class and stuff like that. Uh, but no, this is the first book of hers that I've read. And so therefore it's the first time I've read one of her books. I have read everything, everything. I remember it must have been one of my former students who's now graduated. She, when she was in eighth grade, she was reading that book. And then once she finished, I ended up borrowing from her. Mm. And later on, I don't remember the time, but I remember going with her and then other students to see the film adaptation of it. And of course, this isn't about everything, everything, but it all, you know, all connects. And I had heard the title, The Sun is Also a Star. I think I also heard the film when it came out. I didn't connect that it was the same author as Everything, Everything. So this is my first experience with it. And one of my colleagues just got a a job with another school up in Pennsylvania. She has tons of books, and she was getting rid of some books, <laughs> wow. so she didn't have to move with all of them. And so I went. She asked, you know, if I wanted any, and it was in the pile. But ironically, her sister, who does not like to read, but her parents give her a book every Christmas. <laughs> it was her book, but it happened to be in this box, and I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll give it a shot. And I read it and really enjoyed it, and couldn't think well actually no this was the one where i gave you the option of which book do you want to do and i gave tom three options i said a ya novel a dystopian novel and then like a true crime gritty novel Mm. and he chose the ya so (laughs) you can blame him if you people don't like it but yeah so this is my first experience with this particular novel but not with uh nicola yoon let's say okay Okay. Well, for her biography, I actually went to her website and then Wikipedia as well. So she says she gives an official version of her bio and then the unofficial version, which the official version is what you can find on the book jacket. But it says that Nicola Yoon is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Instructions for Dancing, which is her newest novel, Everything, Everything, The Sun is Also a Star, and a co-author of Blackout. She's a National Book Award finalist, a Michael L. Prinz Honor Book recipient, a Coretta Scott King New Talent Award winner, and the first black woman to hit number one on the New York Times Young Adult Bestseller list, which is amazing but also very sad that it took however long it was for that to happen whenever everything, everything came out. Two of her novels have been made into major motion pictures. She's also the co-publisher of Joy Revolution, a Radham House young adult imprint dedicated to love stories starring people of color. She grew up in Jamaica and Brooklyn and lives in Los Angeles with her husband, the novelist David Yoon. And I just want to say... This sounds like, why are you mentioning this? But it'll become important. Her husband is Korean-American, which I love, and their daughter. The unofficial version, she says, I believe in love, really, truly. I'm kind of a hopeless romantic. I'm a proud member of the We Need Diverse Books team. In a former life, I made jewelry. You can see some of it here. I love karaoke, but I cannot sing. (laughs) 
<laughs> I am the worst. All of this is coming together. Isn't it funny? My song of choice is Making Love, love Out of Nothing by, at All by Air Supply because Air Supply. My husband makes custom notebooks. They're pretty popular. I handwrite my first drafts. I was, am, and always will be a late bloomer. In a former life, I was French. I could live entirely on wine and cheese or maybe Korean because I could live on kimchi and galbi too. From Wikipedia, we see that Yoon grew up in Jamaica and in Brooklyn, New York. She majored in electrical engineering as an undergraduate at Cornell University, go Big Red. Taking a creative writing class as an elective got her hooked on writing. And after graduation, she attended the Master of Creative Writing program at Emerson College. Yoon worked as a programmer for investment management firms for 20 years before the publication of her first book. She was inspired to write her debut novel, Everything Everything, after the birth of her biracial daughter. Yoon wanted to write a book that reflected her child on the pages. Her first time mother worries about protecting her baby from danger gave her the idea to write a story about a 17-year-old girl who needed the same level of protection. I won't spoil. It took Yoon three years to write the book, writing early in the mornings while working full-time and raising her infant daughter. Her husband, Korean-American graphic designer David Yoon, drew the illustrations. Everything Everything was released in September 2015 and debuted as... See, it took... Oh, 2015 no, I don't know how long the New York Times best-selling list has been up but that is too long for a person of color to reach number one debuted as number one for young adult hardcover books it spent 40 weeks on that list and of course it is or has been adapted into a film and stars Amanda Steinberg and Nick Robinson and that came out in 2017 her second book, which is what we're reading today, The Sun is Also Star, was released in November 2016 and also reached number one on the New York Times bestseller list. It was a 2016 National Book Award finalist, was included in the New York Times book review list of notable children's books of 2016, and was listed in the top 10 books of 2016 by Entertainment Weekly and the Los Angeles Times. It was honored as a finalist of the Amelia Elizabeth Walden Award in 2017, and in December 2016, it was announced that film rights had been acquired, and it was released on May 17, 2019, and that stars Yara Shahidi and Charles Melton. Yoon is associated with the Need, We Need Diverse Books organization, which promotes the representation of diversity in literature. And she contributed to Because You Love to Hate Me, an anthology of short stories written by 13 YA authors who were paired with 13 book you, booktubers who provided writing prompts. It was published in 2017. And more recently, she signed a deal with Anonymous Content with her husband, David Yoon. So there's a little bit about her. Okay. So now the plot synopsis, which I think was so, taken from. Oh, re yes, please. Really quickly. Um, it actually has not been that long with regard to the, the New York, New York Times, Times bestseller. So uh, in children's bestsellers was created in July 2000 after Harry Potter had stated the top spot of the fiction list. Because the New York Times bestseller list has been around for a very, very long time. So, yeah. they, so Harry Potter was at the top of the list for so long they created a separate children's list. Then they divided into trade and mass market sections, and then they added ebooks. And then with the children's list, what they did on December 16th, 2012, now this is on the Wikipedia page, the children's chapter books list was divided into two new lists, middle grade ages 8 through 12 and young adult ages 12 through 18, which includes sales across all platforms, hard paper and ebook. So 
if we're going by the YA list, um, it's still a pretty good achievement. It's still an outstanding achievement to have your book on the bestseller list and be the first black female author. But that had that list had officially been created in 2012, so it was not that long. Okay. Still, and, and <laughs> I was thinking it was going to yeah. be years. Yeah. Shout out to We Need Diverse Books. I discovered the organization a few years ago. I was just searching for more short stories to teach um, that were not the, you know, five that rotate around every high school classroom. You know, like I love The Necklace by Guy de Maupassant and, and stuff. And I teach that. And I like The Lottery by Shirley Jackson and things like that. And I'm not, I like The Most Dangerous Game, but that does get to be a bit of a slot. But like, you know, can I find something else? And then, there was a We Need Diverse short stories collection. There was some, so it's a really cool um, organization to check out, and there's some really good writing that's come out of it. I'm glad to hear it. Okay, so we shall dive into the plot synopsis now. The Sun is Also a Star is a young adult romance novel which delves into questions of God, love, and fate as Jamaican-American Natasha meets and falls in love with Korean-American Daniel on the day she is due to be deported. See why I mentioned about the Korean-American? Each section of the novel is titled by the name of the character who narrates the section, with several interspersed sections narrated by a third-person narrator who is presumably God. Though your mileage may vary, or if you're cool like Tom, you'll put YMMV in a text. When the novel begins, 17-year-old Natasha leaves her family's apartment to try to find a way to prevent their deportation. Their deportation has been brought on by a DUI her father received after drinking following a theater performance in which he acted, wherein he told the police he and his family were in America illegally. At the same time, 17-year-old Daniel heads out to get his hair cut and go to an interview with a Yale College alumnus. Daniel is under heavy pressure by his Korean native parents who insist upon the meeting as Daniel's brother Charlie has been forced home from Harvard for two semesters on probation. Natasha heads to U.S. Customs and Immigration Services to see what can be done about her family situation, but is held up by Irene, a lonely security guard who is set to commit suicide that day. Natasha misses her appointment but ends up meeting with another USCIS agent instead who directs her to meet with immigration lawyer Jeremy Fitzgerald. While Daniel is on the way to get his hair cut, the subway conductor who has found God urges his passengers to also find God. Daniel decides he will look for signs from God and therein discovers Natasha. She has a shoulder tattoo that reads Deus Ex Machina, God from the Machine, and heads into the record store Second Coming. Daniel takes this as a sign and begins speaking with her. They immediately hit it off, though Natasha has other reasons, other things on her mind. They're attracted to one another, but they are very different. Natasha is reliant on reason, science, and logic, while Daniel is faithful, creative, and passionate. As the day unfolds, the two spend every moment possible together. They learn more about one another and begin to change each other's lives for the better. For example, Daniel considers he does not have to do what his parents want him to do, while Natasha wants to find passion in her life like Daniel has. While Daniel considers their meeting an act of God, Natasha does not believe in God, though she desperately wants to believe in things like love. As the day wears on, she and Daniel realize they have fallen in love with each other. <laughs> Natasha calls USCIS to leave a message of thanks for Irene. Daniel's interview turns out to be with Jeremy Fitzgerald, who is ultimately unable to help Natasha. In the end, Natasha and her family must board a plane to return to Jamaica. Daniel and Natasha try to stay in touch and promise to pursue their romance, but time and distance cause them to fall apart. 
Ten years pass. You thought that was the end. Ten years pass. Irene, who did not commit suicide thanks to Natasha's thank you message, sees Natasha on a plane where Irene now works as a flight attendant. Irene thanks Natasha for the message all those years before. Natasha introduces herself, which catches the attention of Daniel, who is unknowingly sitting a few seats away. Natasha and Daniel recognize one another instantly. Okay. Well, Tom, hopeless romantic that you are. <laughs> did you did you like this? I did. Um, even though I texted you, I think I was about 20 pages in, and I said, Stella, is this a kissing book? Uh, <laughs> you sure did. Uh, Surprise. No, I really did. Yeah, hopeless romantic. Maybe in a former life before I had all the cynicism driven into me. But... Oh, God. I mean, before before I had before I had my heart broken the first time. But um, oh no! Hi, Kate. How are you? Um, so uh, no, I really did like this. I I read this in like a a most of this in like a day. Yeah, I remember you were yeah looking through. Pretty uh, I, it wasn't my intention. It was you know I I, I sat down and it was just kind of like you know it was just one of those things where it was like I kept going and kept going and by the time I hit maybe the last like you know third i was like well i might as well finish like yes i really couldn't put it down i was i was really into it yeah i actually didn't know anything about it (laughs) you did i so i mean (laughs) i just picked it up Uh, obviously i the author and then just a recommendation from my friend who said yeah that was pretty good and i started reading it and it was i was really intrigued just with these people with opposite ideologies and then interspersed with some histories of different things and people that they were meeting and how everything is really intertwined and well thought out mm-hmm. i yeah i really enjoyed it and i also was was engrossed i think i probably took more time with it than you did i think i was just kind of spacing it out but i could totally it would totally be something that i could sit down and and read within like a matter of a day or a couple days for sure Mm -hmm. okie dokie uh so we'll talk with the title we've actually tom and i were talking about or i brought up before was it off mic that we have probably unintentionally been picking a couple novels recently that the titles are actually found within the book. And so here is yet another one. And I couldn't find the exact page number, but if, because I did watch the movie, if the movie is to be believed, it occurs when they're talking about poetry because Natasha sort of makes fun of Daniel and his poetry and everything. And Uh she says it's it's always the same. It's about love, stars, and sex. And and she says, you know, why doesn't doesn't anyone write a poem about the sun? The sun is also a star. So if it's to, which I'm pretty sure that is how it goes down in the uh, the book. It's Mm -hmm. just a different setting in the in the film but just to give that sorry i don't have the page number i try to find it why do you think yoon chose this particular line for a title do you think it's fitting or would another excerpt or quotation from one of the two characters have better summed up the story i have to go to a place i don't like to go for this (laughs) oh no what's that place they're star-crossed lovers stella Oh, I see. Is the East and Juliet is the sun. It, it that's it that like that's what I thought of. I was like, oh, it's like a Romeo and Juliet. I mean, they don't die, but there is a Romeo and Juliet aspect to this without the death, and uh, the whole star-crossed lovers thing, especially when we see them at the end. So that's where my mind went, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was clever. 
Yeah, I I didn't think that <laughs> think that at all. So that I, I teach ninth grade English too, so I'm always. I know. Like, What's like... funny is that you brought up Romeo and Juliet, <sighs> but I guess that's why it's a place you don't like to go. So I I totally I can get on board with that. I think it also really fits the characters to a T. Like the differences between the two, that the star and writing about a star or the stars is a really romantic notion, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it does fit poetry and and I think Daniel's ideology, and then the sun and even how I don't remember if she did this, but in in the film at least Natasha was really talking about the sun is you know. <laughs> It's kind of like this mother to us all and, and how she gives us so much and protects us. And like without the sun, we would be nothing. So like that scientific brain and, and really respecting the sun. And people don't write about the sun at all because maybe the sun's not as sexy as, you know, just a star, star or not. So I feel like it, it really fits both of the characters and also just this idea of science versus maybe romance or something like that, too. Okay, so we've got the epigraph and then also the prologue. We do have two epigraphs, don't we? So the question is, what does the epigraph tell you about the author's intentions? And I'm correct that the epigraph would be the two quotes at the beginning for the prologue, correct? Okay, so we've got two of them. One of them is from Pale Blue Dot by Carl Sagan. He says, it does no harm to the romance of the sunset to know a little about it. And then the other one is from T.S. Eliot, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Do I dare disturb the universe? In a minute there is time for decisions and revisions which a minute will reverse. So what do both of these... I mean, did you open the book, read these, and know, like, oh, I kind of see where this is going or what this potentially this novel could be about? Not until I had to go back and analyze it a little bit because I kind of wrote it. It's like, uh-huh. And then I went into the book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just kind of like the thing sometimes with epigraphs. Um, oh. But when I'm thinking about the book and I'm thinking about the two main characters, one of whom is very science-oriented mm-hmm. and one of whom is very poetry-oriented, this fits because Eliot was a poet and Sagan was a scientist. Mm-hmm. And Sagan, funny enough, Eliot is contemplating the universe, which is what Sagan did. And Sagan is contemplating poetic romance, yeah, which is what Eliot was doing. So it's clever. It's been a very long time since I've read all of the love, love song of uh, of J. Alfred uh, Perfrock, though. So, uh, but I, I actually like the quotes, and I like to think about it. No, this fits really, really well, and they they connect with one another, and they 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 almost share the same space by mm-hmm. you know kind of being ironic and not what you would expect from that particular person or something to that extent. Do you think that? It wouldn't work as well if there were only one of these. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's the case. I think you have to have both because they they help with the two different personalities, the two different characters. Really like that Sagan quote though. Mm-hmm. Now that I really read, I'm like, I really like that quote. It's a really good one. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think when I was reading it, I didn't. You know, I read everything, but sometimes even at the the beginning of the the book things don't click until you understand you know what the book is about Mm -hmm. and then you can come back and see like oh i see now what's happening here but i agree with everything you said you know sharing the same space a nice little i don't know would it be irony of of looking at the authors and what they're talking about that the subject matter sort of switch and that they just pair really well together yeah in a sense I, i think that i think that's what we're going for 
And it, it kind of goes to the title, too, that, you know, if we think that, like, I'm going to maybe say this a lot, it sounds kind of dumb, but, you know, if we think, like, a sunset is sexy, mm-hmm. like, it's a really romantic thing, and then you break it down, like, what's actually happening, it doesn't reduce that romantic thing about it, just like the sun. Yeah. You know, the sun, we could treat it differently, and uh, or stars, and, you know, what's happening, and that won't reduce, you know, the feelings we get from them or, or using them in the poem. So then, of course, the page after, we've got Carl Sagan again, and it is the idea that in order to make an apple pie, a thing as simple as an active apple pie, it says, you have to create the whole wide world. <laughs> How is this relevant to the novel? I know that, like, you have a story of two kids meeting and falling in love something that in in a way that is very simple and yet the world in which they live is very very complicated mm-hmm. and the author herself even goes as far as to create that world around them for us as the reader because we get a lot of the insights and stories of a number of different side characters in addition to our two main characters so uh, there's a straightforward, simple plot that takes place over the course of a day. And then there's um, this the complexity of the world around it that is affecting it. So maybe I mean, that that's that's my best guess here. No. Yeah, I would totally agree that the love story, I think, is is the apple pie. But if you look at and this is something that the film actually doesn't do because it takes out all of the side characters mm. besides that necessary one like the lawyers Lawyer. like that. But if you look at everything, all of these side characters help to make this meeting and this day happen. Jeremy Fitzgerald, the crazy guy in the car, like all of this stuff. And so that's I, I think certainly the yeah, the whole world and it's all coming together and it helps these two kids uh well, Daniel to happen upon Natasha and then for them to to meet for real. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't get run over. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Where shall we go next? I'll go with F. So there is a Jap. This is from the actual novel. There's a Japanese phrase that I like. Koi no yokan. It doesn't mean love at first sight. It's closer to love at second sight. It's the feeling when you meet someone that you're going to fall in love with them. Maybe you don't love them right away, but it's inevitable that you will. So after reading this phrase, what do you think about the idea of love at second sight? And does this fit? Does this idea fit with the novel? I think it fits really well with the novel because the, the two of them have um, what, uh, what romantic comedy critics refer to as a meet cute, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So they have that, but it goes, I don't know that the, the whatever's behind Whatever is between them goes beyond that in in a big way. And it isn't until the the next couple of encounters that, that this really starts to settle in, at least for, for Daniel, uh, rather than Natasha's a lot more slower to really warm to, to Daniel. But the reason for that is not that she doesn't think he's nice or doesn't like him. The reason is her uh, family circumstances, which is much different. So, and and just mean you know that that's explained well because this because if it wasn't Dan, you would come off as some sort of like toxic male who can't take <laughs> no and blah blah blah. But that's not yeah. the case here. But yeah, that that it, that's a that's actually another a really really good um good concept to go by because there's like a lust aspect to love at first sight. 
Yeah. And second sight does not necessarily have to mean um, eyes. Second mm-hmm. sight could be something a lot more than just a glance at that other person or something like that. So yeah. I like I like that. Uh, yeah, I like the idea that, you know, you could be with someone on a first or second date and think to yourself, like, this could be something. Not every relationship is, you know, super easy, so sometimes you have to put in the work, but I think it it, it still has a romantic aspect to it, but also a realistic one, you know, that not everyone has that opportunity of love at first sight, you know, soulmates kind of thing. So it's it's got that there where there's something, there's some spark there, but you realize like, oh, it's going to develop into something that's long lasting. Mm-hmm. So I also like it. And I agree with you. Yeah, because it's not, they're not falling all over each other. I think Daniel certainly might be the first, <laughs> you know, the first, like he, there's something there, but he, he's got to uh, convince Natasha, of course. Yeah. And I think when they first start talking, you can tell that there's something there between them. So I think even if he has the first sight, I think he also clearly has a second, like, I really like her, but I can also see this developing into something like really serious. Yeah. And then of course his job is to convince her likewise and the fact that yeah she doesn't blow him off (laughs) because he's like let's play this game you know and or well not really a game but do that questionnaire and she tolerates it and so i think that even though she may not admit it i think that she might have that love at second sight too because there's something engaging and interesting about daniel well, it makes sense for his character, the poet, the you know, to be the romantic and her to be yeah. the more rational one because she's the scientist that plays into those particular character stereotypes very, very well. But the two of them are very well-developed characters. So Yoon does a really good job of starting with those stock characteristics and, and, and really coloring them in. Absolutely. Okay. I guess we'll talk about their families first, and then we'll get into some of these deeper questions that I have. So, uh, first of all, let's talk about Charlie. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, Charlie is Daniel's brother, and, oh, man. You just—he's a jerk. That's really all I have to say. I think the worst— interaction or scene with him was definitely in the father's store when Natasha was there and just him being racist and Mm. making some sexual jokes right in front of her, all that stuff. So, but you know, why have this jerk character? What is his purpose in this story or what is his role? I know that one of the things about him is that he flunked out of Harvard or he was on like academic probation or something. Harvard didn't want him to come back for a good semester or a year. Although I think by the epilogue, he turns his, he gets his act together. If I'm remembering correctly, he's definitely there on some level to be the example of what happens when your parents put that sort of pressure on you, because his parents refer to Harvard as number one school. Um, And it's just that, particular and it's a very stereotypical thing of you know being able to brag about you know and this is a cross-cultural thing but it is a very stereotypical thing of a of an asian american or korean american household of like you know where where your kid is going and, and and what what prestige does that come with it and everything 
there's a mixture of them like being able to brag about him, but at the same time being very disappointed in him because Charlie has not succeeded. Uh, they might be a little bit in denial about it or what. It's a very R-rated, dark version of Kim's Convenience. So <laughs> if you've watched oh, that gosh. show on Netflix. It, I haven't. Oh, it, it's, it's, it, that's a fun show. It's, it's, a, it's, okay. a sick, it's a Canadian sitcom about a Korean family that owns a convenience store. It's really good. Gotcha. Ugh. Yeah, I think he certainly does not want anything that his parents have put on him. And I assume that because he's not going to be the doctor, that's why the doctor mantle has passed to Daniel. Mm -hmm. But I could be wrong, and they want both of their sons to be doctors. But he almost, it's like the wrong way to look for your own path. I think that maybe his, his role in the story is for Daniel to look at him and be like, you know, Charlie is pursuing his own path. Like, he's clearly outwardly doing what I inwardly want to do. But is there a better way to go about it? Which, of course, Daniel does end up, I guess, disobeying his father or his parents' expectations. Yeah. Because he, does, he doesn't want to be in the medical field. But I think there's also something with Charlie really trying to disavow being Korean. Like, he wants to cut ties with that at all costs. I don't know if at all costs is true, but he doesn't speak Korean unless absolutely necessary. He doesn't date Korean girls. He only goes for white girls, I think. He doesn't like to hang out with Daniel. So it's like what he really, because I think a theme of this is also like what is home or like who are you or mm -hmm. your identity. And so I think even though he's Korean American, he really wants to strike the Korean from that yeah he wants to go by charlie doesn't want to go by his korean know, name like yeah his korean name all that stuff so i think there's something there as well and and it clearly daniel watches all of this and sees how that really makes his mom i think especially like heart sick of of just disavowing that his background, his, yeah, his history, I guess. So. And, and it's interesting that when we get to the epilogue about how he, I also was just reading as you were talking there, he graduates, he, he pulls his grades up. He graduates summa cum laude, but never talks to his family again. And this, so there's, he's, he's a, a cautionary tale in a sense, you know, not a, not a stereotypical cautionary tale because he's not a failure, but there's there's a bit of caution that Daniel is taking from the way he approaches he approaches the thing. But I think also like looking at examples as well. I think you're right on that. Yeah. So then other familial characters, I guess, that have the most impact on the story, because, you know, Natasha's little brother, for instance, doesn't have as much no. are the fathers. Mm -hmm. Natasha's father and Daniel's father. And they seem like they could be really different, just on the surface, but are they also similar, their stories and, and how we see them in this novel? I think they both want something really good for their kids. Mm -hmm. And there, there's both that sort of like you're so like especially with Natasha, she's very much like her father in that sense, which is you know uh, which we've seen you know that sort of stubborn-headed thing. Both have put their uh, their dreams within the United States on hold to a certain degree as well. 
Daniel's father may be more permanently than, than Natasha's because Natasha's father is still pursuing this dream of being an actor, um, which is, and it's wholly appropriate that the play that he is in is a raisin in the sun, which, you know, which comes from the, what happens to a dream deferred line. And we talked about a few episodes ago. So it's like, and he played Walter Lee younger, actually uh, Walter jr. You know, and then the whole, the person who, has you know and and the 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 liquor and the, it's 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 almost it's almost too perfect you know like yep. it, it i think she let up on that reference to a raisin in the sun just enough so that it didn't become like okay we get it you know yeah so but yeah so what do you think a bit too nail hit the nail on the head mm-hmm, but yeah she didn't almost yeah she didn't overdo it you know <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think I agree with all those. I think absolutely the looking for or wanting the best for their children or his, I guess. Well, yeah, I'll say their <laughs> their children. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a number one priority. And I think losing track of what that actually means once they get into into America or, or perhaps get comfortable with it. And... I feel like maybe Natasha's father lose. I think his name's Samuel lose loses track of it maybe more severely because Natasha really feels that. Whereas Daniel's father, he has that speech after the big blow up between Charlie and Daniel, and it's like he really wants the best for him, and that happens to be you know the doctors is the way to go, but it's the best for him, and that if you don't pursue this, then I'm I'm cutting you off. Yeah. Kind of thing. So it's just like almost misguided, I guess. But you also it's so tied to potentially culture, mm-hmm. cultural ideals. I think both of them have that. I, I do think that na- identity, I think Natasha, Samuel, Samuel went full in, I think, to American identity because Natasha constantly talks about how her father tried to ta- change the way that he spoke and his accent and things like that. Yeah. But I think that Daniel's father, he kept as much of the Korean identity as he could living in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, a big point in, of fact was talking about names. We're, we always come back to this, Tom, but naming is how important it is yeah. and that with America, the family name comes last. So her father or his father was arguing that that shows that Americans prefer the individual over the the group mm-hmm. identity. And Koreans, that's different because, and I think that's true of maybe all Asian cultures, that the family name comes first. And so you can see that in, in how they named both of their sons, that you still have the family name there. You have the Americanized name and then the, the Korean name as well. So I think he really holds on to his Korean heritage, whereas Natasha's father really tries to be in, in the American dream there and uh, be as, as American as possible. And we see that maybe that doesn't fit, and that's why he has to... Because it's so strange that he lets that slip when he's drunk that he is an illegal immigrant. And I know, well, I don't know from experience, but I know that when you're intoxicated, weird things, you say weird things. But that, you know, like it had to be on the surface for some reason. And I just wonder what that says about Samuel that he would let that slip to an officer. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly sure because like part of it is that he was walking a very, very thin, fragile line for so long, you know, where you where they could they've been in the country for years and years. So there are entire families who 
have very entrenched lives, productive lives, yet they are have overstayed their visa, et cetera. And yeah, so and, and it's almost like the, it becomes the family secret. There's a there's a really good memoir from about five or six years ago called Americanized, which is the autobiography of a Iranian woman, Iranian American woman who was uh, who for years and years and years didn't realize that she was actually technically illegally in the country. Um, yeah, so it's just like you know, so it's it's almost it's like this open the big secret that's open in the family and everything, and and you're right, it's like you know that the alcohol makes him slip because he gets the DUI. Like you know, you have mm-hmm. to play it so legitimately for so every second of your life, and the one moment, um, which is a very soap opera-ish type of moment, where like you know the really really great thing is followed by the this is where this is where this all gets screwed up, you know. Um, it can't just it would it wouldn't have happened like on a just a normal day. It's it's because I was out celebrating the fact that I had a great opening night. Yeah. In in as 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 doing what I came here to do, and then all of a sudden, nope, nope, sorry. So. Yeah, man, it was within reach. Mm-hmm. It's like the check that Walter gave his friend. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so the other characters we have are these. M- <laughs> Like, really minor characters. Mm-hmm. Some of them only get maybe one, I don't know, excerpt or moment, and some of them maybe recur a couple times. How do these brief windows into the stories of these minor characters actually enhance Daniel and Natasha's interactions? And did you have a favorite background character? I'll start with the second one first. Oddly, the one I kept thinking of the most, I don't know if it's a favorite, but the one I kept thinking of through the novel was Irene. Mm -hmm. Especially after it was like, um, after the whole thing of her having decided to that morning that she was going to, uh, to kill herself that night. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like, you know, constantly through the book where I was like, I wonder if Irene's going to be okay. But every once in a while I'd be reading through and be like, I wonder if Irene's going to, you know, like it just, it, it, it it would pop back into my head as, as we went. I, I really liked that aspect of the book. I liked the whole, we're getting glimpses into the world around the person. Um, we don't necessarily need the whole story. And in some cases we get the story through either the actions or the epilogue, but that sort of idea that, that you, that like you touch upon or you touch metaphorically speaking other people. Mm-hmm. And there is some sort of effect that you, that interaction has on you. Um, it may be a very minor transactional type of interaction, it may be profound in ways that you immediately notice or it may not be profound in ways that you immediately notice, but you, you realize it much, uh, much, much later. Yeah. I, I think using the word enhance mm-hmm. really works well. I think this novel could have been okay without them. Yeah. But when you have them, I think, wow, this is really smart. Look at how all of these forces aligned <laughs> to have Daniel and Natasha together. It almost would have been like this is Daniel's novel, and then without them would have been Natasha's novel. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, without the scientific thing. But, yeah, it, it, I think that's real world. Like, we don't look around necessarily and realize all these forces that are moving <laughs> 
to push us in one direction or not, but I think this proves that, yeah, a bunch of random things could be happening without us knowing, and we stopped to tie our shoe, and then, you know, we look up, and there's there's the person that uh, we're meant to be with or something like that. So, I yeah, I really like them. I think it's a fun way, even, like, the historical... I say historical, but the histories that, like, the history of wigs, I think, was one of them, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think of what what else was there, but those, I think, also help because it gives you a clue into details. Like, none of them are superfluous. They all work really well. I think that Yoon did a good job of realizing what was important and what was not, and some yeah. of them were really shocking when you realize that Jeremy was the guy who did get hit and also he was the alumnus and the person Mm -hmm. going to help with like that one was really shocking i liked him until he had an affair but i would say that and i guess he made right by breaking up with his person but it would be irene as well for me i think almost without irene and natasha realizes this without irene daniel and natasha would not be together And I think it's also, let's talk about empathy, it's also something that we should realize in our day-to-day lives that people that we are interacting with, we don't know what they're going through. And so someone could be having a really terrible day, and so how how are you interacting with with everyone, I guess, around you? Uh, Are you making it worse or trying to, to make it better for somebody? But just the fact that Natasha wrote that note, and then later on, so, yeah, both times, I guess, as a bookend or almost a ring composition, Irene had been the one to bring yeah. Natasha and Daniel together because had she not spoken to Natasha on the plane, Daniel wouldn't have heard Natasha, then he wouldn't, they wouldn't have seen each other. So, yeah, she is definitely definitely my, my favorite as well, and it was just, like, super sad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, too, was wondering about Irene. <laughs> I mean, once she wrote that note, I thought, oh, my gosh, are we just going to leave it there? Are we going to find out what happened? Yeah, You know what I really like, too, is when she did give the history of some of those things as opposed to just like the character she knew when to stop if we're talking about like modern authors who do that and not like victor hugo or hg wells or or uh, jules Verne or somebody because you know hugo does chapters upon chapter upon chapter on the french revolution and uh and les when yun does it here it's like we just get get just enough so that it's relevant to the story I get the feeling that in the hands of, like, the author of the previous episode's novel, it would be long and pretentious. Like, here, let me interrupt the plot because I have really something to say about the history of wigs. And (laughs) it's going to blow your mind how great my writing style is. And this is going to be 10, 15 pages. And you're just like... Oh my God, you are just so up your own rear end. You're on rear end. I don't see that in Yoon's book. It's it's short and it's relevant and it's interesting too. And she knows, almost like she knows her, she really knows her audience and she really trusts her audience. Whereas other authors clearly think they're above their audience. And I don't get that from her. <laughs> Golly. Are you flashing back to our previous episode? Kind of. I still got to edit it. yeah yeah i agree i agree okay so let's get into some of these deep questions so let's 
first talk about mulligans. So after he tells, after Daniel tells Natasha to wait outside his father's door, he talks about how every person should be born with, quote, a do-over, a rain check, a take-back seat, a get-out-of-jail-free card, end quote. Do you wish that, because he he was worried about, well, I guess for good reason, but he, he didn't want it to be worse, but it kind of was bad how he asked her to wait outside. So anyways, do you wish the same thing, or do you think every moment, even the bad ones, happen for a reason? Can it be both? <laughs> I mean, I think we all, <laughs> I think we all wish for a get out of jail free card. We all wish to, to the, for the, even if it's a small thing, we all wish for those times where we could do something over, you know, or, or whatever. But at the same time, you know, something, uh, the same time I, you try not, I try not to live with too much regret in, in that regard yeah. toward those negative moments, which I wish I could do over for the better. Um, because a, it doesn't really serve me in the present B. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it is kind of like that, that multiversal butterfly effect, branching timeline, whatever the latest parlance we want to use is, you know, if I go back and break up with my high school girlfriend before my freshman year of college, as opposed to before my sophomore year of college, I may not start going out with my wife, you know, like, so it's like, you know, <laughs> so it's like, you know, so there's, there, there are, and maybe, maybe it's because I've read too many comic books, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I've read way too many comic books in this regard. It is, or, or, or seeing the Gwyneth Paltrow movies sliding doors <gasps> too many times. I love that film I, so Yeah, much. I, I weirdly like that film more than I, you know, because I'm like, <laughs> but I just, I lo love the concept. Yeah. Um, it'd be fascinating to explore, but at the same time, uh, there is a certain amount of like, you know, maybe not this was fated to happen, but it doesn't happen without this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I No, I agree. I think that's hard. The, those seems like, seem like extremes. Mm -hmm. There are certainly things that I think about. I mean, it could have happened years ago that I regret and I wish I could change it. But I guess there's a lesson there in that, well... Don't let it happen again, <laughs> you know, or, you know, this happens. So how, how can I uh, prepare for next time almost yeah. like in, in a similar situation? So because we, we see that history, I think, is cyclical and mm -hmm. situations come up that might not be exact, but they they carry, I think, themes of another interaction or another thing that happens. So, yeah, I agree that it's both for sure. Okay. Uh, in the book, Daniel is faced with the choice of chasing a career that promises job security and financial stability, a.k.a. being a doctor, or chasing his passion in a field, which happens to be poetry, that does not hold those same promises. So I've got ugh, three questions here. Which chase do you think is more important? Does Daniel reflect each new generation on the precipice of adulthood? And what can we learn from Daniel and what should we, well, that's like four, uh, what can we learn from him and what should we instill in younger generations? I mean, as teachers, especially, you know, we talk about, you know, what is the good life and, and do grades matter, question mark? <laughs> so how, yeah, how could we potentially use this novel to, to help Ooh. further a, a, a healthy idea to young adults? I think with the first question, I think the important thing to point out is that the path that is promising job security and financial stability isn't something he's necessarily 
passionate about. I don't get the feeling that he likes it. I get the feeling that he's doing it because he has to, right? Yeah. So that's different than I really want to be a neurosurgeon and I also absolutely love poetry, right? Like in that case, you can do both and pursuing your and pursuing your love of science while keeping your love of poetry and studying that when you can, like you don't, you shouldn't have to sacrifice one for the other. You might, if just, if your studies become, you know, just logistically speaking, you may put one on hold for the other because of just, <laughs> you can't exactly become a neurosurgeon through a correspondence course. But, um, but my point being that he's not really that interested. In, this is a path his parents have chosen for him. Right. So it's not so much a pursuit that's not going to be lucrative that you that that that's the passion, the point of it. It's the it, it's it's something to do with the fact that you are making the choice on your own and you are searching for a sense of your own independence and the control that you have over what you want to do with your life is really, really important. And I think that's what I was getting out of it as opposed to like an either or passion or, uh, or financial stability. Yeah. I guess when I was reading it, I, I kept thinking about, you know, the students that I've taught and especially the ones I think with heavy parental pressure and just that, you know, they're going to get in trouble if they don't have straight A's mm -hmm. and what's, what's the point of straight A's? Well, to get into a good college or what's the point of a good college? Oh, so that you can get a good job. What's the point of having a good job? Well, so you're, you know, financially secure. So it's like, okay, they've got the answer for this, but also is this just like a logical step or is there any, is there any love? And is that healthy to just be like, this is what you're prattling off. Is that really what the good life looks like that you're just doing all of this in order to get a high paying job? But if you so, don't, what will people think? That's what your parents. Well, that's what my parents. That's that's the thing I hear from the oh, my parents. Oh, oh, I thought you were asking. No, no, that's <laughs> just it's, it's yeah. you know. But just think about that. That's something that dogged me, and I still discuss with friends, my therapist, of like you know the uh, this idea that if you chose an alternate path to whatever you wanted to do, oh my gosh, you're poor parents what are they going to think what are people going to say about them so it's not even about you yeah. it's about how this looks you know yeah and that really which is, is the which is the problem <laughs> yeah which is the problem since it isn't about you it's it's all about you know disappointing parents and everything and so I think this brings to light and and I guess you know why MMV or mileage maybe <laughs> That, you know, to what extent do you continue to follow and pay honor and respect to your parents? Or when is it time that you are an autonomous human being? Mm -hmm. Because to a certain you know, if he's still, is he still at that moment where he should be listening to his parents and they, for the most part, are, you know, looking out for him and, and want they love him and want him to be secure. So that's why, or is it time for him to be like, you know, I respect that decision, but also I need to do something that is, 
you know, healthy for me, you know, something that I care about and I feel like I will thrive and flourish in. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a, a difficult question as well, because, you know, with these little eighth graders, mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're, you kind of have to train the parents in order yeah. to properly train them because you can talk about all of this to the students. Like, Hey, it's okay. If you didn't, if you got to be, because, you know, you did your best. Yes, there's room for improvement, but it's okay. And they're like, no, it's not. My parents will, I don't know, take away my financial. No, no. Uh, Some... My, you know, all that stuff. So it's almost like, well, we're talking to the, the kids, but really the parents need to be talking no, to. And there are parents who are toxic about this, almost to the point where it's abusive. And the, the amount of pressure they have put on their children leads them those children to have anxiety disorders and things like that leads to thoughts of of self-harm and stuff but then there are also parents who are not are 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 just really concerned and really want their kid just to be okay but they're just kind of Mm -hmm. going about it the wrong way actually as you were talking i was thinking back to um an episode of my own show it was episode 120. I interviewed my friend Chris, who, and he and I have known each other since we were four. And um, no, literally, we went to we went to preschool together. Um, we now both have the same exact job. We both teach high school English. But I went to college, you know, four years, et cetera, et cetera, uh, right out of high school. In the interview, I interviewed him because instead of going to po- college right away after after we graduated in 1995, he and his pop punk band signed a record deal cut an album went on tour for a couple years before things kind of like imploded and then he eventually went back to college but he was telling me i was like how did your parents react because i was like i knew your parents when we were kids and everything he's like they were really really worried and he said it was not easy um but and 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 i got that feeling that it was not the sort of toxic how dare you bring shame and dishonor among our family upon our family it was more of the concern that you will not be okay and and the wanting and it's it's tough as a parent to let go in that regard like it not that you don't trust your kid but like it's like you you worry because it's what you've been doing for and and he and i are both the oldest of the of the two siblings it's what you've been doing your entire their entire life right like you you're worried you're constantly worried you're worried about like you just want them to be okay and like you know deep down they will be okay or if they're not okay you will help them be okay but i think that that his parents daniel's parents come back to the book here i think they're just i think they're just worried in that regard too right i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with what they they kind of say that they think there's something wrong with you know what he wants to pursue, but I think deep down they they want him to pursue what what he wants. They want him to make those independent choices. They are just extremely worried for him, and 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 in a in a genuine parental concern sort of way, and not a toxic how dare you bring home a B sort of way. Do you think that this novel could be good to like discuss that kind of stuff? I think so. I think I think the problem is when you come across moments like this where it's like, Mom, I want to study poetry, not medicine. Dad, I want to study writing, not law, right? It's all directed at the now, right? When I'm talking to my friend about his punk band, we're talking about something that happened 25 years ago. Yeah. And we 
seen the end results. We've come out the other end. We've seen this reach its inevitable conclusion. We've seen, oh, yeah, everything was okay, right? In the moment, it's really hard, right? It's really hard to put your trust in the fact that everything is going to turn out okay. It's it's not it's that's not easy at all. So that's why parents panic. But I think it's a really good I think I think this is a good novel where you could that could spur that sort of discussion, you know, um, and also kind of teach a lesson about. And this is not necessarily within here. It is a little bit. But the, the lesson that needs to be taught about your life versus your job and your job not having to be your life, which is another thing that those very toxic parents often try to drive into their children. Um, that also gets discussed in therapy sessions. <laughs> Psychologists are making a lot of money off of Generation X, let me tell you. So Probably. <laughs> Golly. Okay. So mine. Yeah, well, that's bad, you know. Uh, it's not. I wonder it, what's kind of going on. It's very common. And and there was a there's a certain segment of the population that is very attuned to what they have and what they show. And that could be their children. Will it get better? I think it will. If the current generation of teenagers continues to be they do tend to be very practical, but not in a way that's they they tend to be practical and they tend to be aware they don't, uh, from what I've experienced, they, they, they want to pursue passions, but they also have a good, a better sense of, they don't think of it in an all or nothing sort of way in, in some regard. Uh, they also have, they also have a lot more social awareness too. That's really, really important. The prior generations had to some degree, but it depends on who you talk to and stuff like that. I, I think, I think it is, but I think it's, it's incrementally better. You know, it's not yeah. a sea change yet. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So another deep question. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that got deep. It did. Well, I knew with that one I'll would. I'll send you and the $25 then... copay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's talk about immigration. Mm. Let's go that deep. And then, of course, we can talk about some racism as well. Okay, so Natasha and her family are undocumented immigrants in a country where this is a hot-button issue, I said. How does this aspect of the novel or the story affect our connection to the characters or even the understanding of the politics behind it? And do you feel like Yoon does a good job of giving a face to an issue that is often faceless and impersonal? Second question, yes. And the first question, I, I what I like about this is that it really gets into the the bureaucratic nightmare that is the immigration system in this country. You know, this isn't um, what was that horrible novel that came out like last year that that people were like that was about like some sort of like immigrants sneaking across the border and like American dirt or something where it was just this whole yeah there was a whole controversy about it and from what I read it sounded like rightfully so but it's not a it is not a um, this is there's a struggle in here but it is not the sort of you know sneaking around in the middle of the night sort of struggle that has come to be very stereotypical not that that doesn't happen and not that the stories aren't relevant or legitimate but we don't get a lot of stories like this in our in our narrative about um, undocumented uh, immigrants or 
as uh, as the GOP likes to refer to them, illegals. Um, God, the, the what I liked about this was the fact that there's so many hoops that you have to jump through in order to get the chance to become to get on the path to citizenship. It's such a quagmire of a bureaucracy, and and I think that by showing her having to navigate this, even if it's in this moment here, and it's not like the whole thing, and the the way that it can just kind of turn on a dime because you miss an appointment or, um, you know, or you miss a phone call or whatever. It's just like, it's, I, I found that I don't have any personal experience with it, but I found that to be incredibly believable and really frustrating that I was really frustrated for Natasha. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also, you know, goes to prove that not every, illegal immigrant is a rapist or a drug dealer uh-huh. unfortunately because he was drinking like that doesn't sit too well they're like oh man you're getting ousted and and you had a dui kind of thing but it just seems like such a because bl- you think of all the celebrities who have gotten duis you know they're they don't fall from grace and of course, you know the one time this happens to to yeah. them, of course they get ousted. There's no there's no grace really for that. But but everything else they were doing is just like trying to make ends meet. He's trying to live out his dream. The kids are doing nothing. But yeah, I yeah I feel like that totally gave a face to something. I think the fear wasn't there as much because I know that there's a lot of fear uh, because you know I know of some people that may or may not be illegal but mm-hmm. um the fear of ice like yeah. coming to you know their neighborhood coming to their house is a legitimate fear and it's it's i mean i guess it's dumb to say but it's really scary that you could come home and your family could be gone yeah yeah no i have you know that kind of stuff so that's not necessarily there but i think we do see like yeah basically yeah. the bureaucratic nightmare of you know doing everything right but not being able to to stay and uh yeah so i enjoyed that i I think putting a a face to all of that and i think i didn't recognize like all that stuff that actually needed to happen Mm -hmm. and then of course uh how long it took i guess for natasha to get it in the end too yeah i I think it, it gave me some information while also making me care about it because i cared about natasha so i think yoon does yeah does a a great job in bringing up this hot button issue and i feel like however i mean i don't want to speak too much for other people who might you know you know the build the wall the type but i feel like how could you not be sympathetic towards the plight of these characters especially natasha in reading this so i think yoon does a good job too of really pulling on your heartstrings yeah. and like caring about the caring about Natasha, but also caring about the issue at hand. Yeah. Well, and you were mentioning that the UI and how a lot of other celebrities and actors and other people, and just even non-celebrities and non-actors would get off with maybe a couple of points in their licensed community service or whatever, especially since he didn't really, I don't think he hit anybody. He was just pulled over. And it's the typical thing of the person of color having to do, having to be twice as good for half as much. You know, there's a, you know, an adage like, you know, and very often it's like you have to work twice as hard, but you get half of the recognition and things. And it's like, oh, you got to be extra good, you know, because then we've seen that with police encounters with African-Americans and and other and other immigrants and things. And uh, 
and yeah, so that 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 is um, again, it's it's part of the. In fact, we we get a little bit. It's it's subtle, or it's not as is it, it's not overtly stated. It's shown and not told of the systemic racism in our society through both the DUI and the consequences, as well as. Um, and I know that you know when I say that somebody turn around, well, you shouldn't have been in the country illegally, but at the same time. Then, then now let's look at the immigration system. Let's look at this bureaucracy. Why is it so complicated? Why is there so much red tape? Why is it so bureaucratic? Well, A, yes, I realize that the very definition of bureaucracy is complicated. But B, and this is conjecture on my part, there has to be some level of systemic racism rooted in the way our immigration system runs because it's designed to keep people out of the country. Yeah. You, because if you want to start solving the illegal alien problem or whatever the right's calling it these days, create easy path, streamline citizenship. They come to this country seeking asylum. What's the process? Is the process too complicated? Ease the process. Well, we can't just let everybody in. Why? Because they're brown. I mean, so, you know, I mean, like, get to the no, get to the root of it. It's it's yeah. it's a it's much like we were talking about um, in Raisin in the Sun. The systemic racism considered considered that in housing policies, immigration policies are the same way, you know. So, um, and 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 you doesn't really get into that, into the nitty gritty details of that. And maybe it's because we did talk racism in the sun, and it's been, you know, it's one of those things that gets on your mind in, in the modern political climate. But I did go there as well, and I was like, oh yeah, like it just made me think of like, yeah, it, there. If you look, I would guarantee you that. A good portion of our immigration policies and and pathways to citizenships is to keep certain types of people out. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Oh well, since you said the R word, <laughs> we can talk about that. <laughs> I ooh, I didn't have a question attached with this, so mm. we can kind of what is it called? I don't know, like pitch around ideas. Mm-hmm. But there is, there are some racial issues going on, and in particular, really, it's I guess it's just right Daniel's interaction with uh, sorry Daniel's family's interaction with Natasha. Yes. Do you think this was? I guess I'll ask this. Do you think this was something that needed to happen? Do you think that it would have been fine without it? Is just like that's par for the course and so probably there needed to be some sort of racial tension or prejudice shown just given the characters that we were that we have as our main characters or could it have i don't know could we not have had it but that would have just been unrealistic i think i think if we didn't have it it would be unrealistic and i think if we didn't yeah because and i can't speak to too much but I think that, you know, there is a history of, of tensions. Um, I know that, like, going back to, like, L.A. in the early 90s, there was a tensions between the Korean and, and, and East Asian um, community and the black community. It, it does now whether or not I can't I can't completely attest to whether or not this is actually, like, well portrayed in this novel here. But I think it does speak. It does help put to lie the notion that. You know, every non-white person gets along, which is not like and I'm not saying that, like, you know, 
to say whether that's good, bad or whatever, it's just kind of one of those facts that does get ignored because especially by liberal white people who want to, some of who want to make it seem like, you know, it's all like one big, I want to buy the world of Coke commercial, you know, (laughs) or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, it's not, it's not a big love in. So, you know, I think, I think that, I think it's necessary to be in there. I don't know whether or not it actually, she, it actually lands. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt considering she's writing from two very real places and that her husband's. So I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that she's doing it really, really well, but I personally can't attest to that. Yeah. I kind of wonder what uh, her, I guess, initial romance with her husband was like, because since she is, you know, she is almost Natasha and her husband is Daniel. I just wonder if, if they encountered any of this. And I was, you know, I was thinking to myself, is it, this might be a dumb question, I'm going to ask you, Tom, and thousands of listeners, is it racism if a, a, a family that would not be white would just prefer to date and marry within their own race or nationality? So the fact that, the because Daniel's family, the buys, they want... They basically want him to just be with the Korean girl. Is that racism or is that just like we're protecting our heritage and our nationality? I don't know. I don't. Unfortunately, I don't feel like really qualified to, to to answer the question fully without stepping in it. <laughs> Same. I think it's a little from column A and it's a little from column B, depending on how they treat the the yeah. partner that the person brings home, you know? Yeah. It's, I think the thing, I think it's like, it's, it's a little more nuanced than just going right there and saying, that's racist. You know, I, I, yeah. I think, and I think it actually does a disservice to the, to the discussion. If you just slap the racism label on it. I mean, I think we can agree that, that the interactions within the hair care shop mm. were racist. Mm. Yeah. Ironically, by the way, considering the hair care shop they run yep. is for black women. Yeah. But even, yeah, even the father, though, wanted her, he was, like, trying to, what was it, give her a de-stressor? Is that what they're yeah, called? Yeah, like a relaxer And that's, like, that whole thing of, you know, they want, uh, I say they, as in, like, the, the racist patriarchy, <laughs> I don't know, wants black women to have, like, sh- you know, straight hair rather than natural yeah, yeah. hair. That's something that, I think it's gotten better, but it was, like, w- really bad recently, I guess I should say. So that, you know, that's, even though it seems innocuous, like, actually, there's some racist tone there. <laughs> and then, of course, Dan or Charlie is just being a jerk, and, like, he no- definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah. Which is interesting because he clearly doesn't want to date or marry Koreans. Mm-hmm. So you'd think of all the people he would be supportive of Daniel, but I guess that's just not in his way. So, so yeah, I think I think with whatever this question was, that it, I, I agree that I think it was necessary given the characters that we have, and perhaps this just wasn't, you know, if we were to see part two of the sun is also a star. What is it like Mm -hmm. for them? That would be the time for it because I think there were so many themes already going on that I wonder if enough attention or import would not have been placed on it because it would have just been, 
I don't know, like shoehorned in there. There was just not a lot of yeah. space because we're already talking about a lot of heavy stuff. And so and then we have this. So I think she had to talk about it, but couldn't probably spend as much time. And it's not like she was forced into a corner because that's the only time we see Natasha with the family. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any any sort of stress or uh, stress is tension, tension yeah. between when Daniel comes to Natasha's place, but Yoon doesn't put them in any circumstances where there needed to be a racial discussion. So I think it works out. No. And I think that's this the benefit of setting this novel in New York city, as opposed to like a uh, small town, in Nebraska, like Eleanor and park was because the racism yeah. contained within the community there in some regard, um, or setting it in like, you know, Maycomb, Alabama or whatever, you know, like there, there's no uh, New York City is so full of different people from different cultures and different people from different cultures, you know, both within their cult, staying within their culture, but also intermingling and things like that. So it's not out of the ordinary to see a Korean, a Korean guy and a black woman uh, walking down the street together or whatever. And by and large, they're probably mostly ignored by the citizens in New York City because it's what people in New York City are good at doing, just ignoring you. Um, And no, it's it's, they're perceived as rude. It's like, no, we just don't have time. They just don't have time for you. And they're just going to keep going. Whereas in a small town, you do get the whole idea of this more concerned about what people will think of uh, and and, and probably a, a person versus society conflict with the town in terms of the racial differences. But here it's confined to the family and i thought that was realistic as well agreed okay so we're gonna wind it down this episode that is and we will talk about the epilogue and then i'll ask tom a crucial (laughs) so we have an epilogue it ends and they're not together basically Mm -hmm. they they drift apart which seems very realistic realistic. my heart was was sad because i'm a shipper as you know (laughs) but you know, that was it, and they seem to be happy in their lives and everything. And then there's an epilogue, and Irene is leading that epilogue, and Natasha and Daniel reconnect, though that's where the epilogue ends. So three questions, one, two, three, four, no, three questions. <laughs> Did you find the epilogue to be believable? Because you just grumbled that the ending was, in fact believable but maybe not the epilogue who knows should there have been an epilogue or should we have just left the characters as is at the end and finally did nataniel there was my (laughs) my shipper name nataniel (laughs) did nataniel end up together did daniel and natasha end up together in in your mind i really like i like epilogues like this but so i'm a mark for this sort of stuff like you know I, I really wanted to know what happened to Irene, and I was so glad that she didn't kill herself, so that made me happy. I liked the way she approached it, though, of how she got this message, and it really lifted her spirits, and she went home, and she listened to the album again, and she said, like, you know, his voice didn't break, and she found joy in that, and she's like, I really should leave that girl a thank you message. Instead, she called the suicide hotline, and it was just... She goes back and looks at that as that's the crucial moment of saying, hey, you saved my life. But it was the impetus. It was the catalyst. It was the, you know, it was the spark. And then it was, you know, kind of from there, things things started to get better because she it snapped her out of something or whatever. And I I really I really, really liked that series of of paragraphs before they all meet up together on an airplane 
and the chance encounter on an airplane, I felt that was, I liked it because I felt it was, you know, in the same way he just kind of ran into her in the street and the store and all that other stuff. It was very, I could picture that happening and it tonally matched the rest of the book. So now whether or not I think they'll make it together, I hope so, but Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think she left it open-ended enough and satisfyingly so like, I don't need to know if they do. I just need to hope that they do. (laughs) Yeah. I think on this show, we often talk about sometimes like what would happen next. So it was was nice to see partially what Uh that is. And then should she do the sun is also a star then part two. She's not going to do it. I don't think um, we need it either. No, I don't think so either. So, yes, I'm my shipper, my shipperific heart is really happy that there was an epilogue because I was like, no, please let this not be the end. Because as I was reading that last chapter, I thought, I know where this is going and it's not good. And then there's an epilogue and then there's the hope that there's definitely, you know, this chance. So the epilogue, I think, is believable. As you absolutely said, I think it falls in line with what we had been reading 300 pages before. Mm -hmm. And that Irene was the one to shape this encounter, I think, is apropos. And we got to catch back up with Irene. So if anyone was concerned about her life, we got to see that turned out okay. She got to do something that she always wanted. So there, I guess, is passion versus... She was almost like Daniel as a doctor when she was the security person, yeah. point person, versus Daniel as a poet, uh, as a flight mm-hmm. attendant. So we got to see that in, in Irene as well. And I feel like, yeah, I, I think even if the last line is like, there's love in his eyes or some, 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 some. What was the last line? The last line is, maybe not. Oh, yeah. Well, when he says Natasha, his face is wide open and his world is full of love. And Natasha looks up, time stumbles back into place, the plane and the seats reform, the passengers solidify into flesh and blood and bone and heart. Daniel, she says, and again, Daniel. So I feel like, yes, I think also because there's such a gap, they're not kids anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they're adults, there's a maturity there. So I think the relationship will take on a different weight as well. So it might not be necessarily what they had seen. Like, maybe that will turn into that love at first sight, but this is, like, the real, like, it's the second yeah. sight, but it's, like, really coming into formation now, and, and they can address that. So I really like it, and I'm glad yeah. <laughs> that at least there's the hope that they are, in fact, together. You, and you get the sense, too, that this is realistic because there was no animosity between the two of them when they broke up. Or I mean, it was sad as they just they discussed yeah. it and everything, but at the same time, there was no... I never got the sense that Daniel's writing like angry breakup poetry. Not that <laughs> no. I have any experience. Oh with boy. That. But you know, I don't get the sense that he's bitter, you know, and, and that like so there's a fondness that's always been there between the two of them. So that's why I think there's a real hope at the end. Absolutely. So then my really important question for you, Tom, is are you a Daniel or a Natasha? Oh, I am clearly more of a Daniel than a Natasha. <laughs> so. I would say same. <laughs> I think that's a surprise to nobody. Yeah. But yeah. Do you yeah. Is is your is your wife a Daniel or a Natasha? I think my wife falls a little more along the line of Natasha than Wow! So, so this is almost your life story. Yeah, except for the <laughs> fact that we're both white. So, you know, like, 
yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, that, the, yeah. the, the, the entire like 99% of the story doesn't match up with that one <laughs> little bit of a personality. Yeah, just that, that smidgen. Yeah. Okay. Well, of course, as we end, we always like to ask the important question of, is it required reading? I want to say yes, because we need to keep adding to the pile of really good teen stories Mm-hmm. And teen romance stories, especially that are, you know, that are written at a level above uh, trashy popcorn. And and this is this is a good, really good piece. Um, yeah. and, and I totally would like say, like, you know, do you know, do you like the idea? Do you like the idea of relationships and things like that? Then you really should read this because I think it's a it's a nice and it's not tawdry in that way. It's not vulgar in that way. It's it's a very sweet piece, but it also does actually glance upon issues of family and society and immigration things. Some of the things you talked about. So it's a lot deeper than say, you know, a, a cheap paperback that you'd buy at a beach read. Although this makes a, a good beach ripper. read, I will say that. Oh yeah, you did read it, didn't you? While you were mm-hmm. hanging out on a vacation. I agree. I agree. I just read. A, a why I've written like two days and I thought to myself you know this is the type of why that I am completely comfortable with the one that I just read uh with uh, champion and defending mm. and I thought you know the sun is also star also deserves that that there yes there are some that I I'm thinking well you know if I, I don't really want my young women to be growing up with these ideas like this is what a relationship is like or da 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 da, da. but I feel like the sun is also a star has some deep themes that can resonate with teens and it has a sweet romance in it that I think is also realistic. Now, is everyone going to, you know, find someone off the street like this? Not necessarily, but, you know, communicating through different ideologies and then you might have a wonderful day together, but you will drift apart that not every relationship is meant to be, which we see at least before the epilogue. So I think it is required reading. I think that it could be used really well to tackle some of these difficult topics like, I guess, national identity or feeling beholden to what your parents' idea of what success is and, and what your idea may be of a good life and, and things like that. So, yeah. Cool. All right. We do have some feedback before I get to the selection for next episode. Um, and it is just one comment. It is from our scholastic book buddy, Robert Ward, <gasps> via Facebook about the house on Mango Street. And he writes, I'm only a half hour into the episode, so I can't say too much. But I got to say that Tom guy sure does sound on point. I wasn't searching for a plot, but found the work a struggle. It's a good characterization piece, but one of my least enjoyable entries on the into the RR series. It's not to say I felt hatred toward the book, but it wasn't the most immersive. So and I think we had similar conclusions here and there in the in the episode, to be honest with you. Or at least I know I did. So you had some. I think a similar similar um, opinions. Yes, I would yeah. agree. I think that I enjoyed it more so than you mm-hmm. did. But I, I just remember you said like I'm not sure what to make of this, which is what I thought about the next mm-hmm. novel. I'm not sure what to make of extremely loud and incredibly. Yeah, close. and then we went on a journey. <laughs> we yeah. sure did. By the way, we've done two novels oh, in a man. row that took place in New York City. Yeah, unintentionally. <laughs> unintentionally. Yeah. So. Crazy, crazy. 
Well, Tom, now it's the fun part. Now, folks, he has told me that I have read this book that he's about to choose, mm-hmm. and so I got super excited because I thought, oh, the least amount of work I have to do, the better. And then I said, oh, when did I read it? And he said, within the last I don't, decade. I don't think he's talking I thought, about it. Oh, no, I'm going to have to reread oh, it. We, we, so, yeah. anyways, yeah, Tom, what what are we going to be doing next Ooh, time? Because we've talked about the book before, but we've known each other long enough now that I don't know how many years ago it was. So, oh, I see. Um, Okay. But, you know, it, it, well, this next episode, 59, will come out in October. So I thought something along the lines of the horror monster genre might be a good idea. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mixed with a little bit of history, maybe an oral history. Stella, we're talking about World War Z. World, World War, War Z? Z by Max Brooks. <gasps> wow. Okay. And, yes. And for those of I did read it yes. because I think you mentioned it to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I remember us talking about okay. it at Starbucks once or something. Yes. For those of you who like doing audiobooks, there is a full cast audiobook for this with very famous people. I will I'll, I'll mention it and I'll discuss it a little bit in the episode as well. So it's 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 uh it's one of those things where you could read it or listen to it and you would get a you would get a pretty good experience out of both of them. So yeah, so come back for that. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, we have a special, but we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, well, we'll let you guys know what time what we're going to be doing on our special 60th episode coming up in November. But until then, um, don't forget to leave us feedback. We always appreciate it. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. And if you hear your train operator wax poetically and theologically, maybe get off. Get off of that. Sorry, I, I shouldn't have ended there. Maybe you should get off the train and. <laughs> so sorry and you should go and look around you and maybe you'll you'll meet your second second sight second love at second sighted person nice save there goalie good night (laughs) good night that was probably the worst (laughs) send-off i've ever done gee thanks for listening to required reading with tom and stella which is brought to you by two that's two true freaks if you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash required reading with tom and stella if you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com we will read every email we get on future episodes we're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review in iTunes? If you're interested in following along with the books we read, you can do that and support us at the same time. Just go to twotruefreaks.com, click the Amazon.com link. Every purchase you make will go to support us and the other TTF podcasts. It costs you nothing extra, but it really helps us out. Thanks again for listening, and come back next month for our next episode. Ah uh...